Good morning, everyone. I'm Martin. Uh, for those that don't know me, um, I've been part of the church here since 1991, uh, when I wasn't a Christian, when I first came to church here. I actually sat next to Ian McLaughlin at the first meeting I ever went to in 1991, and Ian was kind of talking me through what God was doing, because God was real. I was like, okay, this seems interesting. Maybe God is real. Um, 30-ish, just over 30 years later, um, I've been an elder of the church now for six weeks, almost to the minute, I think. Um, I said to Rebecca the other day, is it only six weeks? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But um, one of the highlights, actually, since I was prayed into eldership six weeks ago, I was handed this book called Martin's Prayers. Um, And these are prayers that the young kids next door wrote the day that myself and Ben were uh, prayed into eldership six weeks ago. I just want to read you this first prayer. In this, all these prayers are amazing in this book. I just want to read the first one. So one of, one of your kids, I don't know who, who wrote this, it's anonymous, but the first prayer in this book says, Dear God, I hope Ben and Martin are good elders. Amen. And that's it. So, out of the mouths of babes. Um, and actually, the reason I started with that is we're in Joshua chapter 7 and 8 today. And... Um, as Ollie said, I was at home last week, just coming out of having COVID and watching, thinking, that looks great. Clive's just spoken through chapter five and six. Jericho, walls have come down. God is with us. I was stand, uh, sitting at home watching, thinking, and next week in Joshua, chapter seven, which is different to chapter six. And the easy thing to do, uh, we're doing chapter 7 and chapter 8 today. The easy thing to do would be to kind of go, chapter 7, bit difficult, let's just go into chapter 8. That kind of follows on from chapter 6 in terms of good stuff. Um, but actually, if, if I'm going to take that child's prayer seriously and be a good elder, we need to get into chapter 7 and actually figure out the whole thing and not just cherry pick the easy stuff. So chapter 7 and chapter 8, we're going to spend most of the time in chapter 7. Today I'm going to summarise chapter 8 in a few minutes' time. Um, and Ollie said to me in the week, how long do you think you need to preach? Uh, and I said, not long, but I've got to get it right. Because <laughs> if I get chapter 7 wrong, that's going to be more important than finishing on time. So, but I'm not going to aim to go on, so I should carry on now. Um, chapter 7 and chapter 8 is about God's holiness, God's sovereignty, and it is also about God's mercy and God's grace. And we need to walk through chapter 7 to really see the sovereignty of God, the holiness of God, the grace of God, and the mercy of God, and how they all come together. So just cast your minds back a few weeks to chapter 2, when we uh, looked at uh, Rahab, the prostitute, who turned to God and received mercy from God. And that was an easy one to look at and go, isn't God merciful? That's fantastic. I just want to compare Rahab from chapter 2 with Achan from chapter 7. It's probably, I would imagine, Achan, I think, but I'm going to say Achan because otherwise I'm going to spend the entire time thinking Achan and trying to get that right. So Achan in chapter 7. So Rahab in chapter 2 was a Canaanite prostitute. And Achan in chapter 7 is an Israelite from the tribe of Judah. So Achan, one of God's people from the tribe of Judah from the tribe that Jesus was descended from, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a proper, you know, a one of God's people. He should have been one of God's people. Rahab in chapter two, she betrays the king of Jericho to side with God and receives mercy from God because she places her faith in God 
and her allegiance to the God of heaven, as she says, I know the Lord is the God of heaven. She places her faith in the God of heaven. uh, And Achan, on the other hand, betrays the Lord to plunder Jericho. Clive said last week that um, God warned um, God warned the Israelites when they went to take Jericho, don't take any of the devoted things. There's things that are devoted to destruction. Get rid of them. They can be nowhere near me. And silver and gold put into the treasury of the Lord. So don't take any of these things for yourselves. Destroy the things that need to be destroyed. Take the things and put them in the treasury that need to be taken and put in the, in the treasury. Don't take them. Don't keep them. And what Achan does is he takes he takes some silver and gold and a cloak. So Rahab, in chapter two, visibly put a scarlet cord in the window of her house and said, I want mercy. I need mercy. Please pass over me and bring mercy to me and my household. Achan, in chapter seven, buries the silver and gold and the cloak underneath his tent. So Rahab shows, I need mercy, and I'm showing people I need mercy. And Achan hides and conceals, which we often do with sin. Chapter two, Rahab and her family are saved from destruction. So when Jericho is taken, Rahab and her family saved, not destroyed. Chapter seven, Achan and his family are destroyed, which is where it begins to get tricky in a few minutes or difficult. Chapter two, Rahab is remembered as a woman of faith all the way through the Bible and into Hebrews, into the New Testament. Rahab is called a woman of faith. In chapter 7, Achan is remembered as someone who brought trouble to his people. And a monument is built, which we'll see in a few minutes' time, to say, remember, this is where this person brought trouble onto Israel. Chapter 2, God allowed Canaan time to repent, and Rahab did. But God still allowed Canaan to repent, time to repent, before they were destroyed. And showed mercy to them before he showed justice, judgment to them. Chapter 7, God also allows Achan time to repent, which I'll explain. There's a couple of ways we can look at this, and I'll explain it a specific way, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But God does allow Achan time to repent. He doesn't just destroy him. He allows him time, which which we'll see. So that's kind of the gist of what's about to happen. Let me unpack it. And there's actually a a little warning at the end of chapter 6. So just after where Clive finished last week, the very last verse of chapter 6 says the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land and most of the word for word translations translate that as uh, this ESV version does the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land quite a lot of the thought for thought translations it's translated as the Lord was with Joshua and Joshua's fame was in all the land or Joshua's reputation grew in the land So right at the end of chapter six, we've got this just little seed of warning of, okay, God's with Joshua, and Joshua's becoming pretty famous because of that, and there's a little, that's a problem. So let me just start reading into chapter seven now, and this is the ESV translation. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah took some of the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. 
And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So what happened last week when Clive was talking through chapter 5 and chapter 6 was Israel was completely obedient to God, consulted with God, listened to God. Joshua knew exactly what to do. You know, and last week, if you think about it in, in war terms, this was a, a time of war, lots of battles. Last week, Jericho, huge fortified military city, big walls, you know, and the Israelites are ready to attack. So day one, Joshua, we're here. We've got our swords, we've got our shields, we've got our spears, we've got our javelins, we're ready to attack. What do you want us to do, Joshua, last week? March around the city. Okay, no fighting? Nope. No fighting. March around the city. Okay. Tomorrow then, we'll fight. Day two, march around the city. Okay, but we've got swords and shields and we're ready to attack. Yep, God said, march around the city. Okay. Day three, same thing. Day four, same thing. Day seven, today, surely, God brings it to completion. Seven. Yep, today, we march around the city seven times. And then attack. Nope, and then the walls come down because God has said, while you're marching around the walls, as Clive said last week, while you're marching around for seven days, I'm working under the foundations to make them collapse downwards and now you go and take the city. Completely counter-cultural and counter-war strategy. Don't attack. Just listen to God, march, worship, don't attack. Completely different to what we've just seen in these first verses. If you can put those back up again, Luke, please. Completely different. This week, there's no listening to God. There's no consulting God. That first verse there says, the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. and The Lord's anger burned against them. So there's no, we're going to do this today. At this point, God's saying, hang on a minute. You've sinned. And my anger burns against you. Don't attack today. You've got things we need to sort out today. So don't attack anyone today. And there's a real presumptuous complacency about Israel in, in these verses here where the spies, for the first time, the spies are saying, it's not that many of them at AI. And we defeated Jericho, that was a huge military city. And this is just a little town. AI means heap of ruins. It's like... We just need to send a few people and we'll win. We know God's with us. He said, everywhere that the sole of your foot treads is yours. He's with us. So let's just not worry about sending too many people. Let's just go and win. And what happens is they go and lose because God isn't with them at that point, which we'll find out in a minute when God says that. And the very final, if you can go on to the final one there, Luke. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Up to this point, we've had a lot of time where, in, in this book of Joshua, where God is with Israel, and because God is with Israel, the hearts of the Canaanites melt like water. 
because God is with Israel, not because the Israelites are a huge army that could defeat anyone of their own strength, on their own strength, but because God's with them. Suddenly here we find at this the hearts of the people, the Israelites, melted in fear and became like water. Why? Well, because God's not with them at the moment, because the anger of the Lord is burning against them at the moment, because they've sinned at the moment, and they're not listening to God at the moment, and therefore their hearts have become melted in fear and became like water, and they lose the battle. So if we move into, chapters, uh, into verse 6, sorry. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us. Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say? When Israel has turned their backs before their enemies... For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? At that time, uh, Joshua and the elders could go into the tabernacle to speak with God. And it's interesting that Joshua goes in there and just says, God, what are you doing about this? What are you going to do? If we're going to get beaten, God, how on earth are you going to get your great name lifted high if, if, if we don't win? Completely forgetting that in chapter 5, that Clive mentioned last week, spoke about last week, that when Joshua comes face to face with the commander of the armies of the Lord, and Joshua says, whose side are you on? Our side or enemy's side? The answer is, neither. I'm the commander of the army of the Lord, and you're on holy ground, and you need to worship here on holy ground. And if you want to fight with me, then you join me, and you fight my battle the way I choose to fight battles. And Joshua has already seemingly forgotten that and just said, God, how are you possibly going to find a way of winning if it's not through us? Which is a strange thing to say to God. Um, then into verse 10, and this is where it begins to get, um, this is where the rubber hits the road, really, with these chapters. Verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, get up, why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They've transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They've taken some of the devoted things. They've stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, and this is going to be important in a minute, in the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near, tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken, and he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken, and he brought near the clan of the Zerahites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken, and he brought near his household, man by man, 
And Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. It's much, easy, it's much easier to um, look at the mercy of God with Rahab or the judgment of God against Canaan than it is to read verses that say, the Lord says, find the person that did this and burn them and their family. It's much more difficult to negotiate this. But even in this verse, even in these verses, the mercy of God and the grace of God are completely on display as is the holiness of God and the sovereignty of God also completely on display at the same time. There's um, in verse 13 there where it says, get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow for thus says the Lord God of Israel. There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you should be brought near by your tribes. So God's saying to Joshua, okay, tell the people, set yourselves apart for God. Go and tell Israel, set yourselves apart for tomorrow and listen, set yourselves apart. There are devoted things amongst you. God's saying, tomorrow we are going to deal with this. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. Set set yourselves apart for tomorrow because there are things amongst you. There is someone amongst you who has sinned. Tomorrow we are going to deal with this. Not immediately judgment came to Achan. Achan died. But God says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you should be brought near by your tribes. You've got until tomorrow, Joshua, to start to sort this out or to, to sort this out. You've got until tomorrow to bring the devoted things to be destroyed and to bring the silver and gold to the treasury. You've got until tomorrow to do this. Go and do it, Joshua. Go and set yourselves apart now, Joshua so that tomorrow you can bring those devoted things to be destroyed and to be put into the treasury of the Lord you've got until tomorrow. And let me just explain this whole list of casting lots and um, how it ends up being Achan. So um, lots are cast 70 times in the Old Testament. This is interesting. I I, I find this stuff interesting. Sally's laughing at me because I'm not sure whether she does. Good. Um, well, Clive mentioned last week, you know, seven times around the city on the seventh day, seven priests blowing seven ram's horns and so on. Seven is a number that often brings completion in the Bible. Often, very often. In the Old Testament, lots of cars, 70 times, 10 times seven, to determine the will of God, to determine what is it God's saying. Because to us these days, casting lots sounds like magic or divination or gambling or, you know, just toss a coin and see what God says, which we wouldn't do today. But in the Old Testament, 70 times lots were cast to determine what God is saying. And in the New Testament, seven times lots are cast to determine what God's saying, which is interesting. 70 times in the Old Testament, seven times in the New Testament. It was also a pagan ritual as well but it was used to determine the will of God and hear the voice of God. And after the seventh time in the New Testament that lots are cast to determine the will of God, the final time 
is when the disciples cast lots to replace Judas Iscariot with Matthias after Jesus was betrayed by Judas. The final time the lots are cast in the Bible to hear the will of God and the voice of God is just before the Holy Spirit comes and baptizes believers so that we now have internally the Spirit of God to say to us, this is how I talk to you now. You don't cast lots anymore now, but actually my spirit is in you now. This is how I talk to you. And that's vitally important for us. And it's going to be important in a few minutes' time because I really believe that God, the Spirit of God is going to convict us. And that's a good thing. You know, when Andy spoke about the difference between conviction and condemnation a few weeks ago, when the Holy Spirit points his finger on you and says, I just, I want to convict you of that thing. I want you to listen to me and respond because I'm speaking to you. That's a good thing. And as Andy said just before I started, I just want to ask everyone to be open to listening to the Holy Spirit because I think there are things that he wants to deal with in us. So let me just explain. And I, I did ask Andy if this was okay the other day and he said yes. So there's a whole list of names and clans and tribes and so on. Let me just sort of put this in our 2022 kind of speak. So this thing here is sort of the equivalent of God saying to Terry Virgo. So Terry Virgo, who heads up the New Frontiers network movement of churches that we're part of. And Terry started New Frontiers about 40 or so years ago. It's sort of like God saying to Terry, Terry, someone in one of the New Frontiers churches has sinned. And until you sort this out, we sort this out, I won't be with you. And we can't conceal anything from God. We can conceal things from each other, but we can't conceal anything from God. So God already knows when he says to Terry, Terry, someone in one of your New Frontiers churches has sinned. God already knows it's Andy Thorpe. That's the person in New Frontiers who has sinned. God knows this. Terry doesn't know this yet. None of us know it yet. It's a big secret, other than to God. Um, so lots of cast, and it turns out it's narrowed down to the new ground sphere. So it's narrowing down into one of our sphere of churches now, because Andy's part of one of our churches, and he's the one that's done it. But Andy's still got time to repent. Andy? Nothing. Silence. Okay. Because this takes time. All this, you know, to cast lots from Israel, tribe by tribe, clan by clan, family by family, takes time. Where God said, sort this out. You've got until tomorrow. Sort it out now. Bring the devoted things to me for destruction. Sort it out now. And nothing. Sorry. <laughs> Just eyeballing Andy and pointing at him. Um, so Andy's done it, one of the new ground churches, we don't know yet. Lots are cast further. Turns out it's someone in King's Church, Eastbourne. Someone here has sinned and therefore God holds us all responsible because someone here has sinned. This is what happened there in chapter seven. Still nothing from Andy. Andy can repent, Andy chooses not to. Andy's still concealing his sin, hidden under his tent, buried under his tent. Still nothing. Lots of cast again, okay? It's somebody from the family of Thorpe. 
Dave Thorpe's sitting there, two rows behind Andy. Now, it's definitely not Dave, but it's now been narrowed down and God said, you know, let's narrow it down from here to here. Clock's ticking, Andy. To here, clock's ticking, Andy. You know you can repent before it's you, Andy. Nope. Okay, it's somebody from the family of Thorpe. Lots of cast again. Andy Thorpe. It's Andy that did it. True? What do you mean, no? (laughs) Have you not read it? (laughs) We went through this the other day. (laughs) Okay. So that's, you know, that's where we've landed, okay? And at this point, no repentance, no confession from Achan. We'll go back to Achan now. You'll be pleased to know, Andy. So... Verse 19, we know the guilty party now, okay? Verse 19, then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak of shiner and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, weighing 50 shekels, Then I coveted them and took them, and see they're hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel, and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel, this is tough, these verses, Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And when they brought them up to the valley of Achor, and Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord bring trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. The first bit there, heartbreaking for Joshua. My son, what have you done? Andy, what have you done? Why did you do it? It's heartbreaking, gut-wrenching. And this is one of the tricky things. I just want to unpack this a little bit. So, you we can read, read those words and say, hang on, Achan confessed. He said, yes, I did it. And Achan answered Joshua, truly I've sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among them the spoil, a beautiful cloak and so on. And he says, yes, I did it. So we can say, well, how come then God doesn't forgive him? Why does he get stoned and set on fire along with his family? couple of things you can read these verses um, like Adam's sin you kind of say well actually judgment came the second Achan sinned and there's no chance for repentance and there's no way out of you are going to be killed now and held accountable you can read it like that I don't read it like that I read it the way I've just unpacked it personally and 
I know Phil Moore does the same and John MacArthur do the same. But maybe that's one for the ante, maybe that's one for the life group notes and life group questions. My interpretation of this is Achan had time to repent because all the way through this, God says, there are devoted things in your midst. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take the devoted things from among you. In chapter six, he talks about devoted things. Make sure you don't take the devoted things and there's time for Achan to repent all the way through, which he doesn't do. Which leads us to the bit where it looks like maybe he has repented, but still gets killed. And if you compare what Achan says, truly I've sinned against the Lord God of Israel, this is what I did, and he explains, this is what I did. And then they go to his tent and they find the stolen things and say, yes, you did. Compare that with David in Psalm 51. So David, similar process of, I saw something, I coveted it, I took it, I hid it, and I tried to get away with it. Very similar process between Achan and David. David in Psalm 51 says, have mercy on me, God. I have sinned, blot out my transgressions, cleanse my heart, make me pure again. There's none of that from Achan. There's a confession, but there's not not repentance from Achan, which I think is his destruction. He was given chance to repent, given time to repent, and even when he was found out to be the one that sinned, just said, yeah, it was me. I did it. And that's that. Completely different to David. And in a few minutes' time, when we do come back together and ask the Holy Spirit to, to reveal to us things in, in ourselves that we want him to deal with and he needs to deal with. You know, even in, in that... Um, the verses I just read there, verse 13, where, um, where, where God says, get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things. You know, Ollie said that when he stood up after one of the songs, you know, the goodness of God is running after us. That's the goodness of God running after Israel and saying, come on, my goodness is running after you take it, run with it, don't run against it, because I've already said to you, if you hit against it, or I'm going to have to turn my face against you, not with you, not for you. And it's a good thing when we are convicted of things that God says, you know what, I'm jealous for you, not because I'm an angry God, and not because I'm insecure emotionally, but I'm jealous for you because I want you. I want the whole of you, Andy, which means don't take that thing and hide it from me because I don't want you to because I want you and your heart and your life, which is what God is saying all the way through this chapter, which looks like God's angry and now someone's been killed. Really, all the way through it, God is saying, well, I'm gracious, I'm merciful, I'm patient, I'm forgiving, I'm sovereign and in control, and I am holy. And you need to do things the way I ask you to do them, all the way through this. Let me just summarise chapter 8 very quickly, and then we'll respond. So chapter 8, this is what should have happened. 
okay? But didn't in chapter seven. Chapter eight. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai. Let me stop there. Notice that? God says, I have given the king of Ai into your hand. Don't go ahead without me because you won't do it yourselves. I have given the king of Ai into your hands. And I'm reading on. And his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. A couple of interesting things there. That's one of the places where the amazing grace of God suddenly is very apparent to us. In chapter 7... God has said, don't take the devoted things. Don't take the things I've told you not to take. Don't plunder them for yourselves. And Israel sinned and took them. And then straight away, when Israel repents, God says, okay, well, this time, because I'm gracious, you've repented. This time, you can take its spoil and its livestock as plunder for yourselves. Okay, that's fine. By my grace, I told you not to last time. This time, I'm saying, okay, you can take it. If Achan hadn't done that last time at the Battle of Jericho, he would have been told that he could plunder AI. But he didn't. He chose to hide it and do it his own way. And where it says that Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor, none of this is anything to do with numbers. None of this is anything to do with getting the biggest army together because we've already seen God's plan for Jericho was march around the city. No one's actually going to do anything to it other than march around the city. So the fact that there's 30,000 mighty men of valor isn't you're going to need a lot of men, a lot of soldiers. 30,000 mighty men of valor is Joshua saying, I'm going to listen to God this time and I'm going to do it the way he says this time and I'm not going to complacently go, God's with us, we'll do what we like. He's going to say, I'm listening to God. I've learned my lesson. This time, we attack properly. And God said that we're going to take the city of Ai. And they do. And just to summarize in between, because they're quite long chapters. So these verses won't be on the screen. But what happens next is, as we've just discovered is about to happen, Israel wins. And they take the king of Ai and they execute the king of Ai so that there can't be an uprising, a further uprising from the people of Ai because their king is dead. And Joshua, this time, during the battles, holds a javelin above his head all the way through the battles as a symbol of saying, this is God's fight, just as Moses had done with the staff above his head at the battle of Rephidim, saying, God, this is your fight and you're fighting on our behalf and I'm holding this staff above my head. Joshua does the same with the javelin above his head saying God's, it's God's battle this time. He's fighting it this time. And he lets the javelin down when the battle's won. That's what happens in between, okay? In between verses four and 29. Right at the end, I'll start to summarize and we'll respond in a minute. Right at the end, verse 30 of chapter eight. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, 
as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse. According to all that is written in the book of the law, there was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. Joshua there is renewing Israel's covenant with God just as he'd been, or just as Moses was commanded to do. When you get into the promised land, make a copy of the law, make it simply, make it from uncut stones, don't spend time with iron, carving out ornate anything on the stones. Simple, uncut stones, write the law, put it on the mountain, read it, make sure everyone knows it, make sure you know why you're here and what you're doing and make sure you're the people that God has called you to be and there's just a simple recommitment and devotion to what God's called them to do from Joshua at the end of that chapter. Having learned the hard way, actually it's God's battle to fight and today in these chapters very importantly God wants all of you every part of you God wants everything in you to be his to be devoted entirely to him because he is jealous he's not emotionally unstable but he's jealous for your affections and I do this is something that would be easy for me to duck but I do think strongly feel strongly that there are things which God wants to deal with in us. And some of the everyday, kind of everyday things, which are actually not everyday things, they're things which are keeping us from being completely devoted to God, totally devoted to God. It's everything except that thing. Everything except that little thing. And God's saying, actually, now, now I want all of it. I want all of you. I want total devotion. I remember... Um, the day I got baptised, Billy Bigwood, Mike Bigwood's wife, got baptised the same day as me. And I remember really vividly that Billy, when she was in the baptism pool, um, she said that one of the big struggles she'd had leading up to her baptism was, I think one of Mike and Billy's children had, um, is Mike here today? Can't see Mike. One of Mike and Billy's children had made a little china pot at school, I think, which had zodiac signs, zodiac symbols around it. And one of the things that Billy had really struggled with leading up to her baptism was that she felt convicted by the Holy Spirit saying, you need to break that zodiac sign pot, Billy. And, and I remember standing in the baptism pool saying, I really struggled because one of my kids has made this for me and they've put their heart and soul and effort and given it to me as a present and now God's telling me to break it. I remember Billy saying that she got to the point where she said, it's all yours, God. And actually, sentimentally, this is a difficult thing for me to do. But if the Holy Spirit is convicting me of, come on, Billy, you need to give this thing to me as well as everything else. And she broke it, and it went. And she said, you know, 
freedom came from that thing, that little thing. Freedom came from that. When I mentioned this to Mike a few weeks ago when I was reminiscing, Mike, said, Mike Bigwood said to me that when he became a Christian, he um, burnt all his Freemasonry books to come out of Freemasons and immediately went, all this has to go. And some of the things, I think there are the little everyday but important things in some of us. If you get up in the morning and you check your horoscope, there's a little root there that's not God's. Or if there's little new age things that we've come out of, but some of it kind of keeps a little pull back into new age thinking or ways which just the Holy Spirit is saying, no, no, that's not godly. You need to give yourself to God and bin the rest of it. Put the rest of it to destruction so that you are devoted to me. And even things like, again, I was sort of thinking this through yesterday or over the past couple of weeks. Even the everyday things, more everyday things like stuff we're watching on Netflix and you're kind of five episodes into that really good season of whatever it is on Netflix and the Holy Spirit is saying, don't watch that. Actually, that's not good. Don't watch that. And we have a little wrestle inside us going, I've watched five episodes, there's four episodes left. I can probably get to the end of it and not worry too much. And God would say, no, 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 today, don't watch it anymore because I want all of you. I don't want you sharing me with that thing which I don't want you to do. And there's just things which creep in to our lives. And I just want us really to be totally open now to listening to the Holy Spirit, listen to conviction of the Holy Spirit, but not the condemnation of the enemy. No condemnation at all, but just being open to God. Open to be convicted. Actually, yeah, God, there's that thing I just need to bring to you. I need to stop concealing it from you because you can see it anyway. So in a few minutes' time, Sally, if you want to grab the band and come back, just as we start to respond, if there are things which... God is saying to you, you've just got to give that thing to me. I just want you to give it to me, 100%. Then, and this would be brave, but just come to the front. And just as, just as David found, I can't conceal this thing from God. I've just got to open it up to God. And just as Achan didn't do, where God said, just bring it before me. And Achan said, no, I've buried it, hidden it. If there's things in your life that God is saying, the Holy Spirit is saying, just come and bring them before me, then just be brave, come to the front, there's people to stand with you and pray, not to pry, but just to pray, and just while you, you do business with God, and say, God, I just want to give that thing to you, that thing, that little root in my heart, whatever it is, I want to walk free from it today, it's something that we need to do today, so we stand together. We're about to sing Refiner's Fire. We're about to sing the words, I choose to be holy. I choose to be set apart for you. So Father God, I just pray that now, through your mercy and your grace, that your 
open us up to you. Open us up to your spirit talking to us. Open us up to devote ourselves completely to you. It's amazing that you, God, the God of heaven and earth, should care so deeply about us that you want every single tiny thing of us to be devoted to you. Help us, God, not to hold on to things which you want us to let go of, but to let go of them to you because your purposes and your plans and your, you're more important. You're more important than any of the stuff in our lives. And I just pray, God, now that by your grace and by your mercy that you speak to us and that right now, Holy Spirit, you set people free to live lives of total devotion to you.